Was Jesus Christ a racist? Today's lectionary, Isaiah and the Gospel from Matthew, is particularly important for setting us up to see the expansion of the kingdom of God and to see a house of prayer for all peoples, all nations, beginning to be a reality. Today's lectionary, we believe, was probably designed by the Holy Spirit, especially for this time and for this week, as we are still reeling from the events in Charlottesville. The meeting of the Canaanite woman in Matthew's Gospel was meant to demonstrate how Jesus' mission began an expansion to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, to those not from the tribe of Israel, and that his saying how much faith she had was the beginning of that expansion. In previous chapters in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus explicitly told his disciples, don't bother with the people who are not us. In the interchange with the Canaanite woman in today's gospel, it's particularly difficult to hear him call her a dog. It's oblique. He's making, an a, ref- making a reference. He's making a reference to the fact that it's food from the table and that the dog, not referring to her directly, but She knows what he means. Did Jesus really call her a dog? Was it because perhaps she was a woman? No. That made her a second-class citizen, and she shouldn't have been raising her voice in public. But it was because she was a Canaanite. This coming on the heels of the other reading, the other passage, which we might think is separate, where Jesus is discussing, verbally discussing and verbally challenging the Pharisees on their own terms about purity issues. Jesus has just identified that it's more important to look at the intentions of one's heart rather than the fastidiousness of one's hands for purity. Jesus has just told the Pharisees, watch out what comes out of your mouth. What's just come out of Jesus' mouth? He's called her a dog. Was Jesus being racist? Scholars ultimately have to decide, the majority of them do have to admit this is a racial slur. What's going on in Jesus' heart? Jesus is a product of his culture and of his time. And lest we forget, he was still very, very human. And, like you and me, had a blind spot 
He didn't realize where his own culture was being exclusive. He had his own human limitations. And believe it or not, that should be good news for us. Jesus had this log in his own eye, one that prevented him from seeing his own pharisaical purity that he was holding on to. Just as brothers and sisters, you and I hold on to our own stereotypes, prejudices, what some psychologists might like to call our implicit bias, things that we don't always acknowledge we carry. If the events of the last couple of weeks, and certainly in the awareness of our country over the last several years, have taught us there is more than explicit bias, there is sinful racism running amok where we are dehumanizing the other, and it has been long and deep, and the roots go back many generations. I want to be careful not to confuse words like racism, prejudice, and bias, or even sin. I believe the next 10 years will give us an opportunity to very carefully unpack each of those words and discover where each of us is along a long, deep, and painful spectrum of exclusion and dehumanization. Yet each of us, to some extent, has excluded others that we presume not to be members of our tribe, however we define that. Perhaps it's those who don't look like us, smell like us, someone we might not be comfortable sitting at table with, or that we would assume does not have the same purchasing power as we do. What are our blind spots? What is the log we each carry in our own eyes? I'm afraid, brothers and sisters, that even your pastor has fallen victim to my own implicit bias and prejudice in one of the most holy times and holy places while I was on sabbatical last year. I promised you a few sabbatical stories. I'm sorry to tell you this is one of my more shamed moments. It was actually this time last year, within this couple of days, one year ago, I was traveling across the country of England, had just rented a car, was feeling my own expanded holiness, my great reading, and I was looking for a great holy place to expand and pray and connect with nature, God, Celts, and cathedrals. I ended up at the Isle of Avalon an ancient well where legend tells us that Joseph of Arimathea took the chalice of Christ from the Last Supper, casting it into the well. And it has been a healing well ever since, right there in the shadows of Glastonbury and the ruins of Glastonbury Abbey. It is a holy, healing place. And what I thought was holiness to me when I first arrived in Glastonbury sank in when I reached the hill 
of Avalon. I confess I had read The Mists of Avalon when I was a youngster, and so perhaps some of that novel was coming back to me from years earlier. The holiness, the weirdness, and I was enthralled and communing with God and nature and God's creation in so many ways and on so many levels. I had already been up the hill and to the holy well. I had already circumambulated the well. I had already drunk some of the water. Yes, you can still drink it. Tastes like iron. I had already been across the well, down the hill, and I had just come back up, and I was looking for my holy spot to sit again and spend just a few more minutes in quiet and serene contemplation when there was a family sitting there, a rather loud family. It looked like a mom and her two sons sitting there joking. And they were white, like me. But I very quickly and almost unconsciously realized that I was annoyed, that they were from a lower class by their accent, and they were loud, and they were rude, and they were sitting in my spot when I'm trying to pray. And I thought, they really don't respect the holiness of this place the way I do. And I sat there in my spot, trying to get calm and discover my orientation to God again in silence, and they're jabbering along, making these jokes. Finally, after minutes and minutes and minutes on end, I could take it no longer, I got up to walk a little bit. And after a few short moments, I noticed that they were getting up as well. I had seen the wheelchair and assumed it was mom's because she didn't look the most healthy. What was my surprise when one of the larger sons couldn't walk and needed help back into his wheelchair. My heart sank, and I was ashamed. And I thought, Lord, they probably come to this well and a heck of a lot more often than I do, praying for a miracle from the healing waters for his legs. And their jabbering on was probably to help normalize the experience of this ongoing struggle for his lack of ability to walk. The only tiny redemption I had in that moment that God, by his mercy, gave me was they were struggling to get him into the wheelchair. And Father Matthew has never run quite so quickly to help out, to help grab his legs and help his whole body weight back into the chair. And I got a thank you from them. I, who had just been judging them for annoying me and placing them lower than I, was suddenly so grateful to be blessed by them. What does our unclean other look like? What does our own bias and prejudice look like? What are the logs that you and I each carry, even unconsciously? Was Jesus a racist? Yes. 
He was bound by cultural bias, implicit and accepted prejudice, even as you and I often are bound up. He had broken down barriers. He had been progressive, even as we Episcopalians like to pride ourselves on being progressive and breaking the rules and reaching across boundaries. But all of that had, did not, had not opened Jesus' own blind spot. It was only in meeting face to face with the woman who said, out of her deepest need and her greatest embarrassment, Lord, help me. And to provide a verbal response to Jesus that even sounded like what Jesus often said to the Pharisees. Great is thy faithfulness when we soften. Great is the faithfulness that God gives us in the one that points it out to us. Jesus, in that moment, brothers and sisters, perhaps more often than you and I, was immediately changed. I'm in good company with Jesus when my schema for prejudice also changes, when I can see the brother or sister in front, of, in front of me more closely and even in pain. I am in good company when I allow my heart to soften for the vision of the kingdom of God to expand where the house of prayer and the table of feasting looks more like all races, all classes, those that we would not normally include because of our bias or our own racism. We must be willing to be changed, even as Jesus so quickly was. We all have blindness. We are blind and bound by some hidden prejudices. Let the faithful witness of others' pain and humanity soften us even as it did Jesus' own heart.